Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. All right, guys, welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? You know, Dalton, I'm doing pretty fantastic. How about you? I'm, I'm doing good. It's a nice sunny day. We're drinking coffee. I can't complain. Um, I was just wondering, though, when, when um, you're making your CrossFit Games debut now that you're doing your placement out of a CrossFit box. <laughs> when am I making my debut? Yeah, next year, oh, man, 2019. That's that's a tough question. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'm going to have to work on a couple things. Yeah, get the, du- get the double unders down and then you're good to go. <laughs> I'll have to be able to do one rope climb at least. <laughs> All right, guys. We're, uh, we're back at it again with another interview today. We actually have another bearded fellow with us. Um, we have a physiotherapist out of Bowmanville. Uh, Ontario, so a fellow Canadian as well, uh, Jared Menard. Um, so we're welcoming Jared to the show. He's a physio, he's a clinical athlete provider, and he's also a lifter of heavy, heavy weights. Jared, how you doing? I'm great, guys. Really, really great. I can't say the weights are lift are really heavy. They're mediocre at best. <laughs> no one has to know. They look heavy on Instagram. It's all that matters. <laughs> it's all about the angles and the lighting. <laughs> yeah. And when you get those bumper plates you know they look so big it's like just throw a couple tens on the inside and no one will know it's you know it's for the people it's not about me it's it's for the fans exactly uh, so jared why don't you start off and just kind of give you a little background about yourself let our our listeners know who you are for sure so my name is jared maynard i'm a physical therapist out here in bowmanville uh, ontario canada for those of you who aren't familiar with uh Canadian geography or Ontario geography in particular. If you look at Toronto and you head east for about 45 minutes or an hour or so, you're probably right around Bowmanville. So I've been practicing for not all that long since the towards the end of 2015. Um, did my undergrad in kinesiology at McMaster University. Uh, did my master's in physical therapy at Queen's University. And, uh, and yeah, so right now working full time in a clinic. Um, I also do some online coaching for powerlifters, um, do some work with clinical athlete, both as a provider, like you guys mentioned, but then also helping to set up webinars and we've got a few other projects on the go too. Um, and then also keeping busy at home, got, uh, got a wife and, and twin six month old girls at home. So Ooh. yeah, life is full, full of good stuff though. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you're Very probably busy consuming a lot girls. of coffee too. So much coffee, so <laughs> much coffee. <laughs> Jared, what initially led you to uh, choosing a career in PT in the first place? For sure. Um, so during my undergrad, or actually before undergrad, when I was finishing up high school, I knew I wanted to do something related to the sciences and ideally something in the healthcare field. Um, thought I wanted to be a doctor. It sounded great. Then I realized how much time and money it was. And when I was honest with myself, I just wasn't willing to put that kind of time into it. My heart wasn't in it quite enough. So my dad and I helped, like we, we sat down one day, talked about career options and figured that kinesiology was a broad enough uh, undergrad program that would give me a chance to kind of branch off into 
a bunch of different directions when I figured out what I wanted to do. So the three main choices as I was going through school were PT, Cairo, and teaching, or teaching at the high school level. Um, so did a couple of volunteer, um, I guess, placements really for uh, the better part of a summer or two um, in a physio clinic. Never did quite get around to a Cairo clinic. Um, and I had a few uh, favorite high school teachers that I hung out with, so kind of got a, a feel for what teaching was like. Um, we just really felt gravi or was really gravitating towards PT. And then I can speak quite conf confidently about it now and how PT really brings together all the elements that I was looking for in terms of being a healthcare profession, being able to work with people, um, not being a desk job. That was another thing that I knew I, I don't think I could have stood. Um, and then there's a huge teaching component, you know, every, every day with any patient encounter. So, um, yeah, it took a bit of time to figure out where I wanted to land, but, uh, really glad that I picked PT. Yeah, that's, it's interesting you say, um, I think it's a huge part is that education piece. I think even for myself, when I first went into physio, uh, got into school and stuff, I never realized how much of a component education would be in being an educator yourself. So it's interesting to hear that you also kind of got the same thing when you started going through physio. Yeah, man, for sure. So we know you're, well, actually, you know what, let's start off by talking a little bit about uh, clinical athlete and, and what, what that is and how you became part of that. Totally. So for those of you who aren't familiar with clinical athlete, it's a network of healthcare providers who are experts at working with athletes. And that's primarily because pretty well everybody on that network or as that's part of that network is an athlete themselves. So I like to describe it as the people that you could go to and say, my knee hurts when I squat. And you know, for damn sure, the answer will not be, well, just don't squat. Um, they're also, um, I'm pleased to say, a network of people who <clears throat> make, it, make it a priority to keep up with the best and most current uh, research um, for clinical practice. So we have the directory uh, and the public, you know, if you're someone who's got an issue, you can go online, clinicalathlete.com, and you can look and see where you are geographically and who would be the closest provider to you. Um, and then on the back end, for people who are um, members of the Clinical Athlete Forum, you could be, you know, a full-on uh, practicing clinician, you could be a PT student or a uh, uh, a student in the rehab sciences or a strength and conditioning coach We've got a pretty diverse group of people in there. Um, but the forum is a place where uh, there's some phenomenal conversations going about anything and everything from different pathologies to patient cases to um, uh, continuing education, uh, really important resources to read, whether it's journal articles or things like that. Um, <clears throat> and people do a really good job of, I think, um, checking one another in terms of calling people out if there's an error or if there's, you know, something that's not quite right, but it's done in a very respectful manner for the purpose of making that, making everyone better, right? Because they want to make sure that we're operating as best we can, not just for our sakes, but for the sakes of the clients and patients that we're working with too. So uh, I hopped on with Clinical Athlete back in, I think it was 2016. Um, I knew Quinn Hennock beforehand. Um, for those of you who don't know him, he's, we jokingly call him Mr. Clinical Athlete, one of the co-founders of the organization. So I worked with him uh, through distance consulting for a hamstring injury of my own, and then uh, found out about what Clinical Athlete was doing, and I thought, hey, that sounds right 
or like what, what I want to be doing. So hopped on as a provider. And then just recently, just this year, um, I've been brought on uh, to work on a few other projects alongside Quinn, um, our colleague, Derek Sawyer. Um, and so the, the most visible one right now is the series of webinars that we've been putting on. We've had webinars before, but we've really tried to revamp that and get some really phenomenal speakers. Um, we've got some other projects in the works, but, uh, but yeah, so my clinical athlete involvement has, has definitely increased this past year. And I, I really do love it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's like really nice to have that directory because you, if somebody's asking, you know, where do I go to get, see a physiotherapist? It's nice to have that directory where you can kind of trust at least that they're going to get some quality PT. Totally, man. Well, just to, to add on to that. <clears throat> so I've got a, a student on placement with me right now. And we were talking about this just this week or the week before. And it's, it's tough because um, if I had a, a friend or family member who was somewhere not close to me and they wanted to get some PT, they had an issue. Um, and this has happened. They're like, Hey, who should I go see? Who should I go? Should I go see? And, and I have to think long and hard about who I know in the area. And it's not quite as simple as just saying, Hey, I know this person go see them. And it's not, the reason why I can't say that necessarily isn't because that person who's close by isn't a great person and isn't trying their best and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of heterogeneity in the, um, in the field. And well, that's not to say that we, everyone needs to be exactly the same and everyone needs to treat the way I treat. I'm not quite that pompous. Not yet. <laughs> um, I, more I, years. I do think that what's that? I said in a couple more years. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I become as popular as Quinn Hennock, then, then maybe I'll let my ego. Um, but, uh, but no, so the heterogeneity means that more than anything, I think there are a ton of unsupported narratives and so side note, can I cuss a little bit? You go for it, man. Do whatever you got to do. Awesome. There's a lot of bullshit going on um, in terms of people saying, you've got this going on. We need to do this as an intervention to fix it. Um, whatever. So uh, having that directory, like you said, well, is great because I can look and see, oh, there's this person there. And I am a lot more sure that that person who's going to be treating my friend, family member, or someone that I give half a damn about um, is probably going to be doing a better job than maybe the majority of clinicians, which I don't like saying, and I'm hopeful that I won't have to say that at some point in the near future. But for the time being, I think that's kind of where we are. Yeah. And I think you know as well, too, that if people are part of that community, that they are at least making an effort to try to stay up to date. Yeah, absolutely. So what are, some of the, what are some of the things that you have to meet to be considered a clinical athlete provider? Because I know, like, especially in Canada, I, I know there's not, there's not that many. Like, I honestly didn't even know like, until I met you. I don't think there's – is there many more in Canada that are actually – there are a handful, yeah. Um, probably not as many as, uh, as what you might find in the States, um, but I know of a few offhand, like there's um, uh, Steph Scodras, who I met at a clinical athlete course. She's out in, she was in Barrie, she's now in Toronto. Uh, Christina Novak, she's a PT out in Kingston. Um, but, you know, we're talking about Toronto, I'm in Bowmanville, uh, she's out in Kingston. I don't know of a lot of other people in between us three, that's a pretty big geographical area. Right. Um, so there are some, but not a ton. <clears throat> but in terms of what you need to do to be a clinical athlete provider, 
Um, it's not like the most rigorous process in the world, but there is an application process where you fill out an application form. And for anybody who's interested in doing it, it's on the clinical athlete website. Um, and you just talk a little about yourself, general treatment philosophies. And then uh, I think it still happens this way. It certainly did when I was going through, but uh, usually Quinn would schedule an appointment to just chat with you on, on Skype. Um, and it's more about making sure that your general philosophies as a clinician line up with what clinical athletes about um, that you're not going to be peddling a, a ton of bullshit because that's right. um, doesn't reflect well on the community as a whole right let's uh let's talk a little bit about that like the narratives and the bs that you're talking about i know one of the things that we talked about before with you is that you're very much focused on the language and the soft skills that you use when you're working with people why why is that such an important aspect into your your treatment or physiotherapy treatment as a whole for sure <clears throat> so i gotta give credit where it's due uh, a lot of the the thoughts that i now have and things that kind of fuel my opinions come from people like derek miles and uh michael ray who are also clinical athlete guys they're on the podcast they do a bunch of that sort of stuff um <clears throat> so whenever someone is seeking the help of, of an expert. So for us as PTs or for anyone as a rehab professional or a doctor or, you know, it applies to anybody else who is an expert in their respective field, there's an inherent level of trust. And usually, at least in the rehab world, um, people are coming in through the front door because they're in some sort of pain or they can't do what they want to do. So there's an element of need as well. <clears throat> so, they're looked to you to help them out in figuring out what's going on um, and how help them to get better. How we phrase things in general, um, whether explicitly or implicitly, will make a humongous difference in terms of how someone thinks about where they are currently and where they're heading. So an example um, that I'd used in a previous presentation was if you looked at an x-ray or some sort of imaging report <clears throat> and you found, uh, you know, there's some evidence of degenerative changes at, you know, some spinal segments, you had some degenerating discs, you had a disc herniation, you had whatever. Um, I could tell someone, oh, you've got the back of an 80-year-old and that person's maybe not 80 years old. Um, <clears throat> or I could say that you've got some arthritis, uh, you know, it's a bad deal, whatever. And that person's going to start thinking like, holy crap, I'm screwed. Like there's, there's no hope for me now. I'm going to be in pain forever. Um, and you may not have said these things explicitly and they may not arrive at them right away. They may not ever get to thinking that explicitly, but they're going to be viewing themselves and their situation differently from if you said something like, so we're seeing these sort of these changes, uh, you know, it's worded degenerative changes on the report. We know for sure that these are very normal. Um, if you didn't have them, you would be the rare unicorn. So it's, it's fine that you have it. Um, and even if they're there, we know that they're not always um, correlated with pain <clears throat> and that it matters a lot less than what sort of function you have. And if we can decrease, um, you know, maybe your immediate pain levels and get you back to doing what you want to be doing. Um, you may, you just haven't, you haven't just promised them the world but you've given them a lot more hope and have normalized their situation um, without dismissing their concerns. Cause they might be in a lot of pain and might be worried about what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but, or, and you're saying that, you know, that's fair. That's valid. Here's what we're going to do about it. 
And this is why you're not screwed for the long term. Yeah, I think that's a key. I think that's something that we struggle with being younger in the profession is how do we uh, not perpetuate those harmful thoughts while at the same time still uh, acknowledging that the patient's concerns coming in with the imaging and that those are legitimate things to, to initially be concerned about. Definitely. Definitely. And then like, I think you mentioned, I think the key there is spinning it in a way where like now you're adaptable Mm -hmm. and here's how we're going to improve. Yeah, man. Um, my student put it really well. Shout out to uh, Tony Wynn, by the way. He's probably going to listen to this. Tony Wynn! <laughs> I'm going to make it some mandatory homework that he listens to this at some point. <laughs> but, uh, but no, he, he, he hit it out of the park the other day. He was saying that it really it matters a lot how well you can reframe something mm-hmm. because it doesn't help um, to be dismissive of someone's problems. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it happens a bunch when we start talking about pain, what it is, what it's not, the different factors that go into the experience of pain. And if you talk about the role of the nervous system and how uh, pain is a pretty poor corollary of what the tissues look like oftentimes, people become like, are you saying it's in my head? And then become really defensive that way. So often I try to head them off of the past a little bit and say like, pain, you know, it doesn't correlate really well with the tissues. A lot of the time that doesn't mean that, it's all in your head. I mean, the nervous system is extremely important for experiencing pain, but every bit of pain that you experience, even if your tissues look fine, every bit of that pain is real. It's legitimate. It's valid. It's worthy of attention. Um, Here's what we know about what might be causing it. And then most importantly, here's what we can do moving forward to address it, get you feeling better, get you back to what you need Mm -hmm. to be doing. Yeah. There's some like tangible tips you would have like for, for students or for new grads or people that are just starting to get into trying to be cautious of the words they're using, you know, that they could take into practice right away. Cause it's something that I find difficult. Like I'm trying to do it on placement currently. And you know, you, you sometimes just, you just fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the, the tip that I would give is just be careful. Like if it means that you have to speak slower or speak less then then do that. Um, and it doesn't mean, be, suddenly becomes so paranoid about what you're saying that you don't that you're afraid to speak at all. Um, you don't necessarily, I don't think, have to uh, drop knowledge nuggets every time that you open your mouth and say like, oh, this is why you feel this, and this is what it, this is what this means. This is how we address this. Um, you could just simply be a, a listening human being and say like, man, that sounds really hard. How have you dealt with it so far? Um, like what, what matters to you? How has this gotten in the way? Where do you see yourself being in the future? <clears throat> and just like, I guess really just talk to people in a meaningful way. Um, and then just yeah, be careful with, try, try to think maybe about, there's a sentence I, want, sentence I want to say, how is it going to be, how could it be perceived? Because taking it out of the rehab context for a minute, we know that just talking to people in general whether it's in person or through text or whatever, uh, we might say something and mean this thing, and then they might take it as this completely other thing or other meaning. So if we can limit the number of alternative meanings that a patient might derive, you know, we increase the chances that they get what you're trying to say. Um, 
and that allows them to be you know, more or less on the same page, allows them to be on the, in the here and now with you. And then you get to kind of work with them to get to the point where you might anticipate they're going to be, but it might just be easier to walk with them until they get there. You know, if it's, if it might be a bit of a gamble to try to express that, if you're not really comfortable or really sure how to say it in the here and now. Does that makes so sense. You're almost like logging things away and just kind of yeah. talking to them back there and waiting for that kind of entry point when you think it might be most appropriate to kind of talk. About Absolutely. It. Yeah. And that's one thing that that's, that's a challenge for me. Cause I like to talk a lot. Um, and, uh, I've heard other people like, uh, I know you had her and, and Teddy on here, but like Taylor Eckel, um, uh, maybe even Teddy, Teddy said it during that episode, but, um, not dumping the whole like entirety of your clinical knowledge on that person on day one, um, because they might not be ready for it. They might be willing. <clears throat> um, that's not even the case all the time though. Uh oh, no. All right, guys. So for the first time in PT Coffee Cast history, uh, we got cut off. So Will and Jared had an amazing conversation without me. Um, and since I was the host, we didn't record any of it. So we're going to try <laughs> to make it <laughs> as not awkward as possible and continue on with the conversation. So guys, why don't you carry on and I'll just kind of sit here and listen. Yeah, you know, there was some good stuff going on. Uh, we, we had some good one-on-one -on -one bonding time while you were gone. <laughs> But for sure. We also shared the six <laughs> secrets that every PT needs to know and they're gone forever now. <laughs> That's it. They're never coming back. <laughs> you got to pay for the full course for that one. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll start this off. Like what we actually ended up kind of talking about was I asked a question about how you kind of like set up the initial assessment to make the patient feel comfortable and to kind of set the set them in a good path, like going forward. For sure. So um, the, the way that our clinic works is that we, or the front desk staff usually takes the patient back, puts them in a room and then brings me the intake form so I can look over um, just what they filled out, pre-existing conditions, what, you know, what the main issue is, that sort of thing. And then when I come back, um, I've got a, you know, a second or so just to see how they're positioned, how they look, you know, do they look like they're pretty comfortable looking around, feeling all right, or do they look like they're a little bit nervous, anxious, that sort of thing. And then I'll make my intro, say, hey, I'm Jared, physiotherapist, nice to meet you. Um, and then I'll just lead him with some general conversation, like, how's your day going? I make it a point to try to ask that and like, try to convey to them that I actually care. I'm not just saying that for the sake of saying it, but I actually want to know how their day is. Um, you know, what's going on later on today, what's going on the weekend, that sort of stuff. Um, and then as we go, uh, to make them feel as physically comfortable as possible, like I'll try to make sure they look like they're positioned okay in the chair or like on the table. I'll position myself close enough to them so I'm not awkwardly far away, but I'm also not right up in their grill. I'll try to mirror them too. Um, in their their posturing and also how they talk so if they're speaking pretty loudly and they're you know they're joking they're letting a few cuss words fly like i'll probably let a few cuss words fly myself and match their vocal their volume and that sort of thing or if they're pretty timid and soft-spoken and you know that sort of thing i'll 
do the same sort of thing. And we find just in the research that people feel more comfortable that way. If you, if people are doing what they do, they're just a bit more at ease. And then as we go through the, the clinical stuff, um, I make it a point to try to figure out what, um, what matters to them. So, you know, what do you do for work? What do you like to do for sports or activities or hobbies? Um, you know, has this problem gotten in the way of that for you? And if so, like how? I'll ask them what they think about their issue, if they know what's going on, what they want to get out of rehab, um, and if they have any ideas about where they see themselves in the future. Because um, that gives us an opportunity to, um, for them to feel like they're being heard, especially if I can echo back what they're saying, and not just like act like a parrot, but say, say back to them what they've told me and maybe uh, make a few inferences and ask for clarification. So I'll say like, it sounds like you're saying this and this is a problem because of X, Y, and Z. Like, is that right? Do I have that correct? And that sort of thing. Um, plus it gives us a chance to talk about expectations. Um, and if they're expecting to be 100% to play in this tournament next week, when their issue is something that's going to take like m multiple weeks or a few months to get better, we need to have that conversation ideally off the bat. So that way it's not exceedingly frustrating for them as we get into it. So yeah, I make it a point to try to do those things on day one <clears throat> and how it's applied will depend a lot on who it is that I'm working with. And uh, I can't remember if we talked about it before or after the uh, uh, getting cut off there, but in terms of pain science, um, uh, how people sometimes if they're critiquing other clinicians to make it, make it a big deal to learn about and use a contemporary understanding about pain. They're like, Oh, you know, you're just talking about feelings and it's all in your head and this and that. Um, and one of my uh, athletes right now, uh, Melanie Hudson, PT student down in the States, just finishing up or just finished up a placement talking about how some clinicians in the clinic would kind of dichotomize between um, some patients as needing more of a mechanical approach for diagnosis and management and other people who need more of a pain science approach. And so long as you're dealing with people, human beings, and most of us are, unless we're doing veterinary PT, um, and if there's any sort of pain, like those are the two criteria for needing to use and understand pain science and how you apply it's just going to be different. You know, if someone rolled their ankle yesterday, it still matters to talk about, all right, here's what happened. Things are sensitized. This is, this is what we're going to do to calm things down and get things feeling better versus someone who's had back pain for 40 years. You're still having, you're having a different conversation, but it's still tied to the same concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's definitely probably comes with with experience. Um, I'm sure you've you've felt more confident as you go along. The more people you see, because I I feel like I still have. I mean, I have a tough time doing that on when when or when you're gonna address it, when not to address it, how to kind of make the person. You're thinking about so many different things, like oh, what what am I gonna ask? Like how am I gonna do the objective? You're like you're not entirely worried yeah. sometimes about those little things. So totally, I, yeah. Well, just to, to build off that too, um, I definitely remember feeling that way. And I still sometimes do, you know, I'm, I'm rushing through in my head, you know, okay, that person said this, this is how they look. That means I got to do X, Y, and Z. And I've got this, this many minutes to do it in and I'm already running behind. So I got this thing to do. It's, it, it can be tough to balance it all. Um, and, and I think that something, or let me, sorry, before I finish that sentence, um, uh, Taylor and Teddy, who you guys had on here not long ago, um, 
they were talking about being selective in terms of when you do the big old download and how much of that download of clinical information you drop on that patient. Um, and for me, like I, I like to talk and I get excited about things and I, I feel like I want to just tell the person in front of me everything that I know, but they're usually not ready for it. Uh, it's not appropriate. It doesn't help that way. So trying to be selective about, you know, what are the most important things I need to tell them right now? What's going to get them on my side and let them know that I'm hearing them out. And then what sort of things am I going to look to bring up in the future? You know, when it organically comes up um, and just, I think also for me, speaking slower and uh, helps me to, to not be overly wordy and to, to pick those battles, if you will, a bit more selectively. Yeah, I think we had kind of talked about it before, but it was like, you know, a lot of students and actually Dalton did a podcast on it, how we kind of struggle with the assessments. And I think something that's really helped us is all the stuff you just talked about really prioritizing that subjective history, just getting a sense for what this person's story is, where they're at right now and what their expectations are, what their goals are, and actually spending more time on that subjective portion. Cause I feel like a lot of us, we <laughs> will be like done the subjective portion in like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like, what are your aggravating factors? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, Rate your pain. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to think about like what objective, like what special test am I doing? And you're like running around and you're trying to get all the A ROM, all the P ROM. Oh, and like, absolutely. It just like taking that aside and just trying to focus on all those things you just said, it, it doesn't make it perfect, but it makes mm. it a lot easier to kind of like uh, at least try to get a sense for like what your next appointment's going to start looking like, you know? Totally. Um, <laughs> the, the question of uh, rate your pain, which, which was definitely drilled into our heads going through school, is great. Because do you guys know who the comedian Brian Regan is? No, I'm not familiar. You got to check him out. He's got a, he's got a, um, a special on um, Netflix right now. And you can find a bunch of his old stuff on YouTube. He has one bit where he's talking about going to the hospital for, uh, for a stomach ache and how he was admitted. The nurse comes in. How would you rate your pain? Four stars, two enthusiastic <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> and so I, uh, on the last couple of placements with students, I've made them watch that bit. Um, just because I, I like, I still think it's important to get a feel for, you know, how a person's doing, what makes them feel really rough versus not so bad. But I tend to steer away from the question of like, how would you rate your pain? Tell me exactly how it feels. Like, I feel like the most important things are going to come up anyway. Um, and I end up being a little bit more, I don't know if it's sneaky, but <clears throat> maybe subliminal in the way that I get that mess or that information. I'll ask them like, is your pain tolerable? Are we doing okay? And then if they say yes, then I'm moving on to try to, it's kind of a minimalization while still validating the concern or what's going on. Yeah. I don't want them to become more pain fixated than they already are. Cause we know that it's got some negative consequences too. No, yeah. I definitely find myself asking that question all the time. You know, I don't mm -hmm. even want to. I don't even want to. I just, it's just like natural. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's get to the most important part. Um, so we are the PT Coffee Cast and <laughs> we love coffee. So the question we have for you, Jared, is how do you do brew your 
Absolutely. Uh, strong and black. Um, I can't say that I have any sort of particular, or I can't say that I, that I brew it in any special way. I'm probably letting down all the coffee snobs that are listening to this podcast right now, but for, for my, my go-to day-to-day, it's just a, a good old trusty Sunbeam drip coffee maker. Um, I'll grind the beans myself. Um, don't even have a great grinder, but I'll do it. Um, I used to joke with my uncle because he used to brew coffee stronger than I could handle it. I, he, I would joke like he, he drinks diesel fuel and now I drink diesel fuel. And I like to think it puts tear on my chest or something like that, but maybe it's just because I am in dire need of caffeine. But, uh, but yeah, strong, black, any time of day. Yeah, we're, we're on board with that. We know you had a little crisis before when we started <laughs> recording and, and we are appreciative that you saved your last cup of coffee uh, for today to share with us. So that's much appreciated. <laughs> it was a big decision. Like, do I brew it now? Or do I try to get through the next few hours and not die and then drink it with Dalton and Will? <laughs> we made it, fam. We're good. <laughs> we yes. made it. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's transition to a little bit. We know you're obviously a big fan of like powerlifting, lifting weights, strength and conditioning. Um, how do you try to bridge that gap between strength and conditioning principles, especially being involved with clinical athlete and then bringing that into your practice as a physiotherapist? For sure. So I think having a solid grasp on the basic strength and conditioning principles in terms of uh, progressive overload, just doing a bit more over time, um, how to define volume, intensity, frequency, exercise selection, um, and how to modify some of these factors, uh, that is essential to rehab at any level. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you're working with a high-level athlete <clears throat> and certainly with a lifter. Like, I think that's just a, a pretty easy thing. Like, oh, your sport is lifting weights. Let's make you lift more weights over time. Um, but let's take someone who is maybe a senior who has difficulty getting around. They're a falls risk. Uh, it still comes down to strength and power generation, <clears throat> especially for falls prevention, because they need to be able to uh, work against gravity, uh, generate enough force fast enough to get up out of their chair, um, and also be able to react to their internal and external perturbations as they get around. So, you know, you might not get Grandma Ethel doing a one rep max back squat on the first day, but maybe have her doing some sit to stands, you know, off, off a suitable height. And then maybe you make sure that we're doing some, some balance work. And when she's doing those, those sit to stands are going to get easier. So what do you do? I mean, well, you can make it harder by increasing the range of motion. You can have her hold on to a little bit of weight. Um, you can have her do it more frequently or just do more of it in total. And this is the same sort of manipulation of variables that you would use for a higher level athlete or for general population. So knowing these things I think is essential. <clears throat> it's, it's one of those things that I don't think we get a good amount of education on in PT school. Now to qualify it, PT school is meant to make you a good generalist. So that way you can, um, you know, practice and, and pass the, the standardized testing. It's not meant to make you a strength and conditioning coach. So, uh, and I think that PT uh, curricula are generally doing a good job of that, <clears throat> but I would love to see, more emphasis placed on these strengthening and conditioning variables and even some hands-on practice about like coaching basic movement patterns, maybe in place of stuff that probably doesn't need to be there. <laughs> Electrophysical agents. <laughs> um, 
you know so yeah that's kind of what i think about uh, about that and, and there is still a gap to be bridged i guess but it's awesome to see guys like yourselves um people like uh zach gabor and the level up initiative and you know a whole bunch of people in our realm who are looking to i don't know i can't think of other words but close that gap um it's really encouraging yeah that's amazing i feel like the ability to understand how to modify exercises is is so huge because there's so many ways that you can do that mm. and then the other thing is like although everybody doesn't need to lift heavy weights sometimes when you just get somebody to do something like that like you get a 50 year old mom to <laughs> go on the squat rack it's amazing to see the confidence level just shoot right up huge man super quick anecdote just on that <clears throat> um when i moved to this clinic where i'm working now it was a step up in a lot of ways one of them was uh the clinic owners a lot more open to ideas than the previous clinic owners were um so i i started working here in october of last year and within the month i made a really strong pitch to get a you know a, a fairly inexpensive squat rack and a barbell and a few hundred pounds of bumper plates in there <clears throat> and so owner went for it um and it's been amazing not just because now with you know, athletes, they can come in and say like, oh, shoot, we've got the stuff right here. Let's just, let's squat as part of the assessment now. Um, but there's a, there are a few patients that stand out. One in particular, who is, in my opinion, extremely over-medicalized. Um, she's taking advantage of every uh, extended health benefit that she has, is seeing a bunch of different, different providers. And there's still some inaccurate and, and unproductive beliefs about her, her status going on. She's been in our clinic for years. So I took over from another therapist uh, to see this patient. Um, and I kind of just kept the status quo for a couple of months. I was a little bit, you know, a bit nervous about stirring things up because she was a pretty particular patient too. But one day I thought, fuck it, I'm going to try. <clears throat> like, hey, do you want to, do you want to try doing some squats and some elevated push-ups? And um, so there was something else too. Oh, rack pulls. It was rack pulls. And we're talking about a range of motion of like an inch or two. It wasn't much, but it was still a 45 pound barbell. Um, and she wasn't excited about it, but she did it. And we've made it a habit of doing these things. And just this week when I saw her, we were doing some assisted pull-ups and some um, overhead presses she's using five pound dumbbells. We don't have seven and a half. So I gave her, uh, uh, you know, those old dumbbells, you put the plates on, you screw them on. Like it ends <laughs> up being about 12 and a half pounds or so which was too much, but she looks at it. She's like, so that was 12 pounds. I'm like, yeah, she takes the two five pounders, puts it in one hand, starts pressing it overhead. It's like single arm overhead presses. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like looking around to anybody who will acknowledge, like, look at this. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh, so yeah, having that, that's kind of a benefit of having some of that equipment. And I, and I don't think that everyone needs to, you know, lift a barbell, but I also really love having the opportunity to demystify it and de-threaten it a bit and, and show people how they don't need to be afraid of it and how it's going to help them do what they want to do. Yeah. That's, that's my goal is just get people deadlifting hundreds and hundreds of pounds. You know? <laughs> that's, that's the dream, man. That is the dream. <laughs> we have a couple more questions uh, for you. We know you're speaking at the upcoming physio night out. What, what, uh, what is that going to be about? 
For sure. Um, quick overview about Physio Night Out. So my classmate and buddy, Cash Mahdi, he did some uh, some travel PT down in the States <clears throat> and he's Toronto based, but went down for a little bit, found that they had a great sort of um, networking thing going on down there where PTs would just come together, hang out, talk shop, just and not talk shop and we didn't or he didn't see much of that going on around here so we figured no oh, shoot we'll start something up so uh, he's put together the summer speaker series um, with some uh, great clinicians in the the Toronto area um, just recently he had the uh, the physio for the Toronto Raptors come down and talk um, a few other people like that <clears throat> and so he asked me if I wanted to give a talk originally for the winter the fall, winter, or like early spring. Uh, and I said, yeah, for sure. Let's do that. Um, and then one of the speakers had to cancel for the summertime and he asked me if I wanted to move up and I said, let's do it. So the whole gist is that people come out, there's a free lecture by one or two speakers. And then after that, everyone heads out to a nearby restaurant or pub and just has some drinks, has some food and just networks, hangs out. So my presentation is titled Why Getting Jacked Matters. Um, yeah. And again, I got to give credit where it's due. I didn't have to do a ton of uh, original sort of legwork. Um, I took a bunch of stuff from what Michael Ray and Derek Miles have put together for their clinical athlete course, scientific principles um, in sport rehab. Um, but the presentation focuses on um, you know, do we need to lift heavy, you know, and heavy is a relative term, what the research says about why it's hugely helpful for almost everything. Um, is it safe for young people and old people? Spoiler alert. Yes, it is. Um, and then it gets into kind of what we were talking about a little bit there. You know, what are the basic principles of strength and conditioning? How do you apply it? How do you progress, regress, lateralize stuff? Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good time. Uh, if you wanted to let students know, like just some general advice for once they move kind of outside of school, uh, what would be some advice that you would have? For sure. Um, there's still, there's still a demand and, and a need to, um, you know, kind of learn and, and memorize information that you need to pass your licensing exams. Um, so I took a, a stab at, uh, electrophysical agents for which I am entirely unapologetic, but you still need to know like your ultrasound parameters and your, your tens parameters and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, and you just need to meet the requirements that allow you to be licensed and then you don't have to use it. You get to practice according to um, not just how you want to. I mean, that is an element of it, but I think that we as healthcare professionals have an obligation to practice the best that we can. Um, you know, uh, the article by Sackett, uh, on evidence-based medicine, the three pillars, uh, best available evidence, uh, clinician expertise, and patient expectations. I think that the, the most weight should be put on best available research. Um, and that should definitely inform everything that we do from the methods that we use to assess and treat to how you interact with everybody, you know, the soft skills we've been talking about. So, you know, learn what you have to, pass the tests, try to, you know, make it as meaningful as you can because it, there's nothing worse or few things that are worse than like not caring at all about something and having to memorize a ton about it. So try to take what you can from it, but just recognize that um, you'll, you'll get past the point of needing to do that 
<clears throat> and also realize that your learning definitely does not stop after school. If anything, it probably just gets kicked up in the high gear because you get to, you have to be much more um, self-directed, you know? Um, and it's, it's a lot more fun usually when school's finished. Oh man, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. It's counting the days. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting it. You guys are almost done, right? Yeah, 24th. 24th of August. Nice. Nice one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate well, you having well, on. So uh, if you want to just like kind of let people know where they can find you, maybe where they can find Clinical Athlete as well. Absolutely. So uh, Clinical Athlete, super simple, www.clinicalathlete.com. Um, follow us on Instagram at Clinical Athlete. We're also on Facebook. Um, there you can see all the fun stuff we got going on. <clears throat> We've got uh, a handful of clinicians that are – contributing to um, the, uh, what we call the content team, um, where there's a theme every week and we're talking about uh, research articles, we're sharing um, content in terms of like exercises, uh, different interventions, whatever. And um, so this past week was low back, this coming week I think is concussion. And I know you guys chatted with uh, Dr. Cam Marshall from CCMI. I'm a CCMI provider myself, so that was awesome. And uh, so I, I should have something um, to contribute to Concussion Week. We've also got people taking over the Clinical Athlete Instagram stories, <clears throat> um, usually on Tuesdays. And we've got live Q&As, sometimes on Instagram, sometimes on Facebook. But uh, check those out. For me, I'm at Jared Maynard underscore PT on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, but probably a bit more active on Instagram. Um, yeah, and you can catch me in Bowmanville, Ontario, in my garage gym. <laughs> Squat massive amounts of weight. <laughs> Again, it's all about the illusion. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> all right, Jared, we appreciate you taking the time coming on to talk to us. I know you're uh, you're a busy guy. You got two small little people to take care of, um, and a lot of other stuff going on. So thanks again for coming on and talking with us. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for uh, for extending the invite and taking time out of your schedules. It was fun. Anytime. All right, we'll catch you later, all right? Sounds great. Okay, see ya. All right, that wraps up episode 28 of the PT Coffee Cast with Jared Menard. We'd like to thank Jared for coming on the show and chatting with us. Uh, sorry about the, the connection issues, guys. That's the first time we've ever uh, had that happen on the PT Coffee Cast, so thanks for bearing with us through that. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I think Jared did a great job of touching on a lot of things um, that will benefit our student followers and even those who are currently practicing. Jared hit on a lot of topics like um, using words and how words matter, the soft skills, how to set up an assessment, um, when to use pain science or how to incorporate pain science into your treatment. Uh, I think it was a really good conversation. Um, and of course, Jared joined us with a cup of coffee and he loves lifting weights. So it was all, it was all good things, guys. So we're glad that you joined us for that episode. Um, one thing on clinical athlete, uh, I'm, I'm actually part of the forum and I've used it and used the webinars and all that. And guys, it's top notch. If you're looking for um, a platform as a student to learn more about physical therapy, to learn more about strength and conditioning, um, to learn about new ways of, of treating such as like blood flow restriction, concussions, um, 
general strength and conditioning principles. All that stuff is on there. Um, it's for a cheap price. I think it's $9 a month to be part of the forum. You guys can apply for that through the Clinical Athlete website. Um, I highly suggest if you're interested in that stuff to check it out. Um, it's really helped me out a lot and it's a great, great resource. Guys, if you want to uh, follow us, you know where to find us at the MVMTPTs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and also, one final plug, guys, we do um, have our new student education um, Facebook group called Students Driving Health. So if you're a student and you're listening and you want to be part of that, search it up on Facebook. Um, we have a couple questions for people to enter into the group and then you'll be let in. Uh, and we got a lot of good stuff going on there, guys. So check that out if you're interested. That's, that's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Peace.